Good morning and welcome. You've got Dustin Atwood, A1 Custom Car Care, and Miss Sarah. How are you this morning? Good morning. How are you? Good. It sounds like you have a lot you want to talk about today, so we might as well just jump right in. Okay. Sounds good. So, earlier this week, I was on social media and I came across this video of this basically magical product. It is called, I believe, Fresh Fix or Fresh FX. I think it's Fresh FX. And what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to eliminate musty odors in your AC vents. Okay. And what you do is you spray it on the outside portion of your vehicle on your hood, kind of where the, the vents are. It's That's the fresh air intake. Mm-hmm. So that's what you're going to look for. And then you also spray it in your AC vents, mm-hmm. and then you run your AC on high for like 5, 10 minutes. Yeah. And so when I watched this, I, I thought two things. First, I was like, wow, that's really awesome because... I have a dog and, you know, I got dog odors. And then, of course, we go to the river in the summer. And so you get that kind of river smell in your vehicle. So uh, there's a lot of odors that can get trapped in your vehicle. Um, My second thought was, is this product a good product to be using? Is it something that can necessarily something that you can necessarily trust? For sure. So first off, since it was on social media, it must be true. I'm just going to put that out there. That's our disclaimer. Secondly, um, it, that is legit. I'm not familiar with that product um, in particular, but we do stock it, and that's a normal process that we do on a lot of people's cars, especially folks with allergies. That's a big, big deal. Um, I'm sure you've seen under your car, Sarah, where it drips water when your AC's on. That's yeah. your condensate drain. Well, that's part of what makes the AC work really well is that the humidity inside the cab condenses and drips and runs outside. That's why it's more comfortable inside the car. As well as it's a very dark area because it's inside the dash, and it's obviously very wet. So that creates a lot of bacteria or allows a lot of bacteria. So if I was going to use something, and and what we use has an antimicrobial and disinfectant, it's almost kind of like what a hospital would use. Um, so it's absolutely a very legit service. We've done it for many years. I do it on my personal vehicles. People that have pets, very key thing because when you turn it on recirculate, it starts to cycle those dander and different things from your pets. And then, uh, people that smoke a lot usually like it because it kills a lot of that, uh, you know, secondhand smoker smell inside the car. And it also, every time you turn it on, you don't get a fresh blast of all the bacteria that's inside the vent. So I'm a huge proponent of it. And especially this time of year, I know I'll do it on our personal fleet of cars with uh, mine and Stacy and the kids is probably a couple of times throughout the summer. So I think that's awesome that people are putting that out there and you were able to see that. So if you take a notion, I would love to do it and then just get your feedback on it and see what it looks like or feels see, like. I had to ask that question because I I know every single product out there is um, not necessarily helpful yes. for your vehicle. And that one has been circulating quite a bit on social media. So I thought I should probably ask Dustin before I get this for sure. $5 fix in a can. 
It, it always, it's funny because, you know, I'll see the social media stuff where, you know, they talk about, uh, you know, winter air in your tires or, you know, the, some of the very extreme ones are like, oh, you know, drive nails in your tires for, you know, winter traction. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know if you've seen any of yes, those. Yes, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah. And so, and thankfully, you know, most people have, you know, enough common sense to know that it's a joke, but um, there's a lot of information out there and, and I'm always concerned that people, you know, can tell the difference because some of them are pretty convincing. Um, I know you you've heard me talk for years at this point about the sealer or stop leak in a can that people put in their AC right. systems. That's thousands of dollars worth of damage. And, and really at no fault of your own, you believed the marketing. And on the surface level, it'd be awesome. If that worked that way, heck, I'd do it. But it really shoots you in the foot on these deals. And then I can't take it back for you. You know, I gotta, there's a lot of parts, a lot of labor, a lot of time in there, whoever does it, whether you do it yourself or you take it to somebody like us. And it really is hard for me as an advisor to come and say, hey, that $12 can of, you know, AC fix in a can just cost you two grand and you still don't have AC, by the way. So that's a tough deal. Say you use this product Mm -hmm. and it might fix it for, you know, a couple times you drive your vehicle. Is there... Is there something that you should be more concerned about if the smell keeps returning? The only thing that I would be concerned about is if you don't see the dripping underneath the car. Okay. Um, as far as it returning, it is a uh, you know a moist, dark area, and bacteria is going to grow. You'll get all the pollen in there and everything. You get organic material is the long and short of it, and then you constantly put it in a wet environment. It's going to grow, you know, mold sometimes, and you want to get those antimicrobial, I don't want to say chemicals, but the chemistry back in there to kill that stuff off. It's more of a maintenance item. This should be done every so often, as well as the other caveat on this, and it's by vehicle by vehicle, is if you have a cabin air filter in your car. It's no different than the furnace filter you have in your house or your apartment that needs to be changed so often. I've seen some amazing things on those, Ugh. taking them out. <laughs> I've had them full of uh, uh, like dog food. I've had them full of like a feed and corn kernels um, from livestock. Oh my goodness. And you can only imagine, um, not to gross you out, but the most interesting thing is I had uh, uh, folks come in and say, hey, my blower motor is making a noise. And so I'm all like contorted up under the dash and it, it had a noise. So I'm taking the blower motor out and it literally had like a dead mouse that oh had, my gosh. had a, Ooh. you know, uh, perished. It was not alive. I've had live ones as well. Um, but yeah, that was the smell in that particular car oh, was mice. So that's always an interesting one that nobody enjoys at all. And uh, that's not the first or last time that's going to happen. That happens quite often, unfortunately. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, lots and lots. They like that area. There's a lot of nooks and crannies and places for them to uh, hang out and make their little nests. Um, you know, I've heard all kinds of wise tales about how to get rid of mice. Um, the uh, uh, zest fully clean soap. I've had people cut chunks of that and leave under the hood in the trunk. Um, I've had them use all kinds of different uh, potpourri bags. That was one of the best ones that I ever heard or seen. Um, they had them zip tied all underneath their motorhome, and it was to keep the mice away. They didn't like the smell. So, yeah. Learn something new every day. And it's not just for rural people. A lot of times that is for uh, folks that live out in the country. I'm sure you have experienced this over your time. Um, You know, there's mice everywhere, whether you're in town or out in the country. And if you get a habitual, you know, we'll have people come back with chewed wires 
or, you know, like I said, stuff and nests built in weird places. Um, that's definitely something that you got to get proactive about because that will cost you big money too, not to mention the funky smells that come along with it. Well, thank you for answering my question. Did now that, I know. Did that yes. help? Yep. That really did help because I was like, mm, I don't know if I trust this magical product that I saw on TikTok. I'll have to look at that <laughs> one specifically. I don't care what the product is. If it works, I'm totally good with it. We stock, like I said, something else, but it's been proven to us. It's a BG Services. You're welcome to look it up online. It's a fantastic product. Um, we fog the fresh air side, which is that under the hood part. Typically, it's in the wiper area on the passenger side. I'm sure that's kind of what they showed. Yeah. Um, but also, if you'll turn it on recirculate and spray it on the passenger side floorboard area, it'll draw it in. As well as I close all the vents and I open them one at a time and I fog each vent as I go across the car is how I typically do it. It's around a 15 or 20 minute process. And then like they advised, I fire it up and I run it to, to make sure and get it circulated through there. And it, it definitely makes a huge, huge difference. It's one of my, my favorite uh, maintenance services that we do. And we don't do a whole, whole bunch of them, uh, but we do a fair amount of them. And the customers always, I like it when they can feel or see or experience the difference. And that's one of my favorite ones that they can. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so what's been going on around the shop? So tons and tons of things. It's busy. A lot of AC work. Um, you know, that's kind of the topic you brought in. Um, a lot of folks think is their AC is not working. Uh, they need to top it off. And sometimes, or a majority of the time, that is true. But more often than not, what is not factored in is basically that refrigerant, it basically grabs onto the heat, moves it through the system with the compressor, and then there is a condenser outside under the hood. And I won't get too technical, so if I do, reel me in, please, Sarah. Will do. <laughs> but it dumps the heat out underneath the hood, and then it returns cooler and there's a lot of other things. I'm sure anybody that's super technical or in the industry is going to be, you know, trying to fill in all these blanks. But there's a lot of other things that happen in that process. But the long and short of it, it picks up the heat inside the car, dumps the heat outside, returns um, cool refrigerant, and that's how you get AC. So you have to be able to move it efficiently, and you have to be able to flow air across it efficiently. So more often than not, what we're actually fixing when you've got an AC performance problem is that pumping process and the heat unload process. So just because your AC is not up to par or not working doesn't mean you just throw refrigerant in there and hope for the best. Sometimes you create more issues than you had. So then we fix those, and then we fix the primary issue. But looks like we're up against a break. We'll continue this after a bit. Welcome back. You've got Dustin Atwood, A1 Custom Car Care, along with Sarah. I want to get a little bit down in the weeds on this particular topic because it pretty much affects everybody that doesn't ride a bicycle or walk everywhere they go, which is going to be a lot of you out there. I know it is me. Um, I spend a lot of time out on the road. Um, obviously, we're in the automotive business, so we deal with a ton of you that are on the road as well. You got to get to church, you got to get to school, got to get the kids to ball games. I mean, we're all in that same boat. And as I look at 
Goldman and Sachs, I also look at CNBC, so you can look at everybody talking about this. Um, I think we're just south of $80 a barrel on oil right now, and they're talking about flirting with that part of it. They're talking by, you know, later this month here in July or even first part of August, north of $100 a barrel oil. And everybody's talking about transitory inflation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which is, in my opinion, a bunch of BS. Everything, no matter uh, what I buy right now, and I'm sure you're in the same boat, the cost is going up big time. Whether it's raw materials such as metal that we use for our custom exhaust, um, or if it's milk at the grocery store, building materials has been hot. I know when I go to the pump, I see a increase in what it costs to fill up. And, you know, I... I don't want to be super conspiratorial, but, you know, the fact that the Keystone Pipeline got the boot earlier this year, um, as I look at, they have, you know, the, the inflation on just fuel in 2020 has been unbelievable. Um, CNBC says oil prices surged more than 45% in the first six months of 2021, rallying towards $80 a barrel for the first time in more than two and a half years. Now, I don't know about you, but I try and pay attention to history, and I also try and pay attention to, you know, my wallet. So, Sarah, what do you think about all this? Give me, give me the lowdown over there. What's your take? It's very frustrating, and I think that the older that I get, the more frustrated I get on things that I didn't necessarily pay attention to when I was younger. Oh, yeah. When I was a teenager, uh, I had a part-time job, and it was mostly for, you know, if I wanted to go out to the movies with my friends or, you know, to fill up my car so I could hang out with my friends on the weekend, Mm -hmm. things like that. But now that I am an adult and I have to work full-time and I work very hard for my money, uh, I like to make sure that every single penny is going towards something important Mm -hmm. yeah this is something that i've been watching quite a bit and while you were kind of opening the show i had just received an email that i was hunting down i found it excellent um it's from triple a and the title of it is missouri statewide gas price average rises to the most expensive since 2014 Mm -hmm. and so then i started reading about it so it says that the statewide gas price average in missouri is two dollars and 82 cents for a gallon of regular unleaded fuel it is 94 cents more per gallon compared to this day last year yeah Uh, the national average price for a gallon of gas is 314 and then it kind of breaks down where the most expensive places to purchase gas in Missouri versus the cheapest. Mm-hmm. And it looks like Columbia is paying the most on average at $2.89. Wow. And Cape Girardeau is paying the least at $2.74. And I feel pretty fortunate, honestly, because when you look out at the coasts, you know, obviously everything's oh, yeah. more expensive on each coast, east coast, west coast, etc. So I'm very thankful we live in the central United States. This yeah. is a great place to live. Um, Not that those aren't, but, you know, when you look at things, typically cost of living is better. But the more you have to throw, whether it's commodities that we get at the grocery store or fuel in this case, the less you get to spend on other things. So, you know, if all of a sudden my commuting expense goes up or the cost for the freight trucks to get whatever product to the store goes up, we're all spending more on those products and you cut out the extra things or maybe you cut out the necessary things and it's not actually the extra things, which is really, really tough. 
Um, I don't remember what year you started driving. Did you see $4 a gallon since you've been driving? Um, I think I was right after that. Okay. But when I first started driving, I think gas was like $3.80. It was quite expensive. It was. So you were kind of at the, the height of that. When I started driving... The cheapest I can remember was Hillbilly's gas station there in Marionville where I graduated. I love Hillbilly's. Hillbilly, if you haven't had their biscuits and gravy, you are missing out. They have the best biscuits and gravy. But I digress. I remember them around a dollar twenty or so, mm-hmm. which was pretty nice as a young driver at that point in time getting in. And I never thought I would see that again, but we did not that long ago. I mean, we saw it dip down there a dollar thirty and it stayed there. And whether you, you know, have a whole bunch of love or hate for the Trump administration, he had a big part of that. And he really put us on the path uh, to contain or sustain that price. And then, of course, 2021 came around. Keystone Pipeline got the, the plug pulled on it. And you immediately saw the rise in fuel prices. And I have to believe that they're making intentional moves to drive up the fuel costs. That's my outsider opinion looking in. And that really frustrates the tar out of me because they're taking us from energy independence, essentially, and having a surplus and selling it on the global market and then working with our um, you know, closest allies here in the North America area and driving a big wedge between us and Canada to where we can work together instead of, you know, having to get it from people across oceans. And we all know how the uh, supply chains have held up the last year or two. Um, that's pretty frustrating. I was looking at some stuff as well. So uh, you had some interesting thoughts about Canada and what they had played on that side of it. So did they, how did, how did that relationship work when they pulled the Keystone pipeline? Um, so we followed a lot of Canadian news. I can't, I think it's called CRTV. Okay. That I'll is look into that there. And I believe that's what it's called. Um, that is their main kind of like our Fox news okay. or, you know, like a mainstream media outlet. That's what theirs is. And, I followed a lot of their news because they're pretty straight to the point. They're not like the United States mm-hmm. mainstream media. You're not fed just the same thing right. over and over and over again. No, they tell you how it is. And they focused a lot on what is considered a boom town, which is basically a town that's grown overnight because of a certain demand. Kind of like uh, what you saw in like North and South Dakota, those towns that just kind of popped up. Because Uh, of the discovery of resources that were beneath the earth, essentially. Yeah. Okay. So they had quite a few of these boom towns that popped up uh, around places that they were going to be working on this Mm -hmm. pipeline. And so you had these towns that grew and of course demands grew. So whenever you have over, you know, a thousand people moving to one area, of course, you're going to have to have a place for them to stay if they don't have housing. So like hotels, you're going to have to have a place for them to eat. So of course, cafes Mm -hmm. and restaurants, you're going to need people to help like maids and cleaners and, you know, plumbers and so on and so forth. So that's how these towns really become boom towns. Mm -hmm. Well, I started following the story of these towns because as soon as the pipeline was shut off, These people were leaving in droves. There was a town population, um, and I wish I could remember the name of it. I I remember talking about it during the morning show um, when all of this happened. And there was one town that was like a 3,000 population, and like 2,000 people left within like a a five-day period. And there was people that had spent their investments to move to these towns, to open restaurants and hotels. 
and now it's like a ghost town. And not only does that community lose out on all the money, but of course, these are um, traveling workers, a lot of them. You know, if you're a pipeline welder, et cetera, that's a big one there. And then everything that goes along with it, not only do you lose that revenue in that town, but they're sending a lot of money back to their, you know, residents or wherever that lives. So they're paying utilities and keeping their family going. And so it's really this tenfold thing. So they built all this. They had ordered a ton of product. I think they scrapped a lot of that product, which is unbelievable on our side because those are urinized tax dollars out there that they just threw away like it was nothing. It's just unbelievable, but at a stroke of a pen that something like this can can happen and really devastate us. And then so we lose all that money, and then you and I are also paying a ton more money every time we go, whether we want to take a vacation or it's just normal commuting, etc., So I try and look at history, and I was in the automotive field the last time we got north of $4 a gallon, and I remember how it affected everything across the board. Um, Folks were taking their their high-profile vehicles, big Suburbans, Tahoes, uh, excursions, expeditions, anything that was a huge, huge, high-capacity vehicle— and they were either parking them or the value of those vehicles plummeted drastically. And they all started getting their economy, you know, kind of small, compact vehicles and going that route. So that's something to be mindful of. I'm not saying get rid of your big, high-profile vehicles, but history repeats itself more than not. So we need to be prepared for that. But we are down at the bottom of the hour. We'll be right back after the break. All right, welcome back. You've got Dustin Atwood, A1 Custom Car Care, joined with Sarah here in the studio. We're talking about some current events, honestly. Um, I know this is an automotive talk radio, but I want to make sure that everybody is informed about what's going on. I'm sure a lot of you remember and know what I'm talking about. Like I said, I was in the automotive industry. I've been doing this professionally for close to 20 years here in the Springfield and Northwest Arkansas area. And I've got to see a lot of things, got to pay attention to a lot of things over time. And the last time fuel prices spiked up, many other things spiked up as well. The cost of scrap steel. I don't know if any of you remember that during the, I'm going to say mid 2000s, 05, 06, 07, somewhere in there. Um, There were lines to the scrapyard and people were hauling in all kinds of stuff. And the scrap price was crazy. I can remember one time, I think it was an E150 or 250 van that I had, and I took it into a local scrapyard here in Springfield, waited in line, I think, for almost two hours. Have you ever hauled scraps there? I have, yep. Yeah. I love hauling scrap. It's one of my most favorite things to do. I I thoroughly enjoy it. And so I save things um, over the years. Um, Take a wild guess what I got out of that van. I have a... No idea. I got $730 oh in scrap out of that van. And I don't think that I even did a good job processing that van. I think I pretty much just loaded it up as it was and took it in. I was on cloud nine when I got that check there. I was like, yeah, that's some bucks. Now, we're not that high right now. I hauled in some junk while I was off the other day, and I got a couple hundred bucks. It, it was worth doing. 
Um, but as fuel prices go up, you will see, um, you know, the kind of that scrap material price go up as well as other things. Um, my favorite, which I'll probably go there after we get out of the studio here, my favorite uh, Chinese buffet here in town. They're up almost like 12 or 13 bucks to eat their buffet right now. And I was a little shocked at that, but as you look at the cost of what they're having to pay for it, I need them to stay open because I want to have lunch. You know, I don't want to be upset with them about it. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that goes to the grocery store, sees the inflation there. Um, it's pretty much everything we're touching. Internally, we get an email usually once a week of, of normal items we use, whether it's raw pipe. Um, we're doing our best tire prices. Um, everything's going up in cost. So I want to make sure everybody gets the most value out of their money as possible. And I, I, that's got to be what it's about. So being educated on this stuff and watching for it is probably one of the biggest things that we can possibly do. So what do you see that's really kind of in your daily life that's really kind of going up in price more than normal? Are you seeing much difference? Though? Yeah, actually, I went grocery shopping yesterday and I basically got like, I would call it like a layer at the bottom of my yeah. cart. Not very much, but I ended up paying, I think it was $120 yeah. for just, you know, your average day things that you need. Um, I know that milk was up a little bit mm -hmm. and so was bread. And then of course, um, still house hunting. Yeah. And Any the, leads on that at all? Anything? No. No. <laughs> no, we've been house hunting for quite some time and it's just, it's unreal. The housing prices are just so expensive yeah. and what people are putting up is just not worth it and you know typically a, a $150,000 house is selling for I don't know how much now Probably north of 200 yeah I would imagine. It's, it's just unreal so yeah definitely seen that in um, my day-to-day -day life yeah I've also noticed that you know everybody the big hot topic was lumber prices you oh know. yes it is coming down I think I saw the lumber futures drop like 30 percent the other day which was good I mean that's going to help but it takes a while for that to start showing up. You know, when I go into the lumber yards, they've had more than enough inventory. So they have to, um, at some point, figure out, hey, we need to turn our inventory and be able to get some new stuff in here. So I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic on that field. I don't want to just be the gloom and doom and everything. You know, the sky's falling, chicken little, et cetera. But that's something we're all dealing with. You know, I, uh, I did some shopping around. I'm doing a little bit of work on my shop right now. And it's worth running around and kind of looking a little bit. I needed some rolls of insulation, and I went to one big box parts store and then uh, made a trip across town to the other one and saved $10 a roll on insulation. And by the time you buy several rolls, it adds up. So um, still good quality. I'm not saying I'm sacrificing that. Everybody knows kind of how I feel about quality. Um, I'm probably one of the most sticklers on that stuff. Not that everything's perfect, but... Um, if I get poor quality something, I absolutely write it off, and it's scorched earth. We're not allowed to use that at the shops. And it, it happens. You know, a lot of times when you have work done, it's not always the the craftsmanship's very, very important, but the, the quality of materials is also very important. So that's why we choose and are such a stickler about where we get our stuff from and how we go about it. Um, you know, we have issues and things don't go right, but we take notes and, and we... Uh, Make sure that we don't continue to make that same mistake over and over and over again. That just doesn't make any sense. So how long have you been looking for this house project? Not to not to uh, raise your blood pressure here, because I know this is something that has been a little bit of a challenge for you guys. 
Um, well, we I feel like I've been looking a little bit longer than Ryan has. Okay. <laughs> but uh, we've probably been looking for probably about a year now, maybe wow. a little bit longer. We had started looking before we got married, which was back in September. Okay. So we really wanted to try to find a house a little bit before we got married and then, you know, just kind of move from that way. And then sure. that didn't happen. So then we were like, well... You know, maybe after we get off of our honeymoon, we'll find something. And it's right. just, I mean, we've put offers in on a couple of different places, but they go just yep. so fast that oftentimes it's people coming in with cash from different states. Yeah. And they would much rather take a cash offer than somebody that has a loan, which, yeah. I mean, I don't blame them, but that's we, the situation we're in. You know, we've got a couple of shops that we work with in Northwest Arkansas, mm-hmm. and the majority of our new talent that we've been hiring is people moving from Colorado, California, you know, kind of that area migrating um, here to the central United States. And they have all said very similar things. It's the cost of living or they've been able to sell their very expensive, modest house out there for crazy amounts of money. Come here, get a more than modest house and pay cash for it with the money they made off their last deal. I mean, it's just incredible of what I see the influx of people moving into this area, which is a great area. You know, I was born um, in Joplin, Missouri, so I was from this area. But at a very young age, we moved up to the Chicagoland area, and I spent a lot of time there. And then when I was probably 10 or 12, we moved back down here. And I'm very thankful that we did. You know, not that it was bad when we lived in the the northern area. It was a lot of great things that I thoroughly enjoyed about it. Um, But the cost of living is better I like the Four Seasons here. I mean, that's a really, really cool experience. You know, thankfully, we got a little bit of snow last year. I know I've been talking about that for years at this point. Um, but you still get summer, fall, you know, et cetera, spring. And I love being about that part or this part of the country and still being able to get out and, and do some things with nature as well, whether it's hiking, floating, you know, rivers, lakes, skiing, et cetera. So as you guys look at a house, I mean, are you you focused in on one area? I mean, does the commute matter to you guys? Does the Is that something you think about at all? Not so much, but that's because I've lived in the country, so I know mm-hmm. the kind of wear and tear that it can put on my vehicle. Yep. I am ready for that. Okay. Uh, I know that my next vehicle definitely will have four-wheel drive okay. because we do have four seasons. Mm-hmm. So I do have to watch out for, you know, that winter and even oh, yeah. that early springtime. And I well, yeah, even the springtime because you have flooding and things oh, like yeah. that. So, yeah, definitely looking for something in the country, but I also know that I have to be prepared with a good vehicle too i always think of my vehicles a little bit as equipment and capabilities of what it offers and what doors it opens for me we don't live crazy out in the middle of the sticks um, but we've got you know four acres outside the clever area and one of my ways home is a low water crossing and a lot of the year that thing's running so thankfully i'm in a pickup truck which is not that big a deal but there are times that i got to turn around and i got to head some you know probably another five miles out of the way um but i like capability whether it's towing hauling whether it's people or you know payload etc and what that offers so as i look for newer vehicles you know i seems like about every 10 years is my normal cycle with a vehicle and each time you know i think of what i've been able to do what i you know the gains whether it's hauling more occupants or or like i said i do a lot of towing 
Um, but that opens a lot of doors. So early, you know, I just wanted something to drive when I was a new new driver. I didn't care what it was. And I had some super clunkers. I mean, some bad ones. I've probably owned, and I always thought I would be able to recall how many vehicles I've owned over the years, but I bet it's north of 50. Oh, my goodness. Yes. But most of them were things nobody else could keep running, and that's why I ended up with them because they were super cheap. But we do need to take one more break. We'll be right back after this. We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. All right, welcome back. Of course, we've got Dustin Atwood and Sarah, A1 Custom Car Care, talking a little bit about things. Um, As we go through, you know, what we saw last time, and I'm jumping back to the fuel topic, um, you know, we saw a lot of people that got rid of their vehicles or parked them. Um, We also saw a lot of people that had vehicles that were paid off, that they had kind of parked, you know, behind the barn. Maybe they had bought a new one and not traded their old one in. Uh, But we saw a lot of people going either into the economy, you know, uh, budget-friendly, fuel-economy-efficient car, or they were bringing out their old cars that they had parked for a while. And the reason that I bring this up is I'm starting to see some of that resurgence of people keeping their vehicles. You know, we went through a phase, well, I say a phase, in the beginning, people, cars were so expensive, you had to keep them. And then all of a sudden they got pretty doggone cheap, honestly. You know, when I got out of high school in, uh, I think, the early 2000s, cars, I mean, you could buy a new Chevy truck for like 10G. I mean, brand new. You get some economy cars that were like five and six grand. You get a decent car for 10. Uh, Now, if you try and buy anything even on the cheap that's 18 and 20, the reason I bring this up is because they're not as disposable as they once were, and you have to keep your vehicle. So I believe in the next few years, the folks that have paid off their vehicles and not gotten into extreme debt are going to be in a very, very good space. Um, I don't think the deficit of inventory is going to last forever. Um, it's still pretty desolate if you go to a new car dealership. Um, there's not hardly any inventory there, which is really tough, makes things very expensive if you're in the car buying market. But the folks that have bought a good quality car and taken decent, if not good maintenance care of it, are going to be able to drive those cars for a very, very long time, barring somebody has an accident or a collision. So, Miss Sarah, with all of that preamble, if you will, do you have any like expectation when you buy or finance a car? Do you ever think about that of how long you know your goal is to keep it? Yeah, so actually I had this uh, conversation a couple of months ago when I needed some repairs mm-hmm. to my Chevy Cruze. Yep. It's not paid off yet. Okay. It's almost there. That's and awesome. Congratulations, thank by you. the way. Thank you. I'm very excited. But at that time, I was very frustrated because sure. I was like, I have not paid this darn thing off yet, and please don't fail me before I get it paid off. Right. Or, you know, I didn't want it to fail and then, you know, just right have it paid off, and then it's like, well, I don't even get to enjoy it. Right. I want to be able to enjoy my vehicle and not have to pay a car payment. So that is one thing that I look for to mm-hmm. kind of go back to your question. I look for a vehicle that I can enjoy for several years without having to pay a car payment on it because um, car payments can be quite pricey and <sighs> car hunting can be no fun. Oh, you've as, got that right. Yeah, especially right now with 
chip shortages and what have you. Mm -hmm. So I definitely want something that I can keep um, around a long time. I have been fortunate to have vehicles that last me quite a bit of time. Before I had my Chevy Cruze, I had a 2005 Dodge Stratus, and that was purchased brand new by my parents Uh in, I think, 2004. So they had just gotten it when it was released, and it was something that I had... I mean, I think even you worked on that I vehicle. I yeah. remember this. So I, I had it for quite some time. Yeah, you did. And it had quite a few miles. So I, basically, I want something that's reliable. Mm-hmm. I would. I don't want something that I'm going to have to kind of throw away, a throwaway vehicle, yep. if you will. I don't want that. I want something that's going to stay around for years to come and potentially be something for maybe my future children or something that we can keep as a backup vehicle. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, living in the country, if something breaks down you you need a backup and you can't just have an uber pick you up or a taxi <laughs> yes <laughs> my philosophy has always been you know one is none and two is one yes. i think that's kind of a preparedness mm-hmm. mindset um, especially and i'm sh- uh, sure a lot of that comes from living in a rural area but i see folks you know live smack dab in the middle of you know a huge population area and you drive by their house and they have typically a spare vehicle anymore mm-hmm. and i think that's very very wise that's kind of a blessing about you know what we've got going on is that you can have some extra transportation and it not really cost a huge huge investment um, i've got a buddy of mine who bought a brand new chevy pickup now it is a you know three quarter ton or one ton diesel. He's paying over a thousand a month payment on that, is that crazy. thing, and you know he lived. You know I think the tax rate was around seven percent. So I don't know how much he paid in ta- just the purchase price of taxes on that thing, but I bet it was north of three or four grand, which is insane. So having an older vehicle that you've paid the taxes on, you give it a little care. I mean it's not uncommon to put three or four grand in that vehicle. A year possibly um but that is pennies um my mom recently we were kind of on the fence about getting her a new vehicle or whether it was time um and i know her vehicle i think she told me she put about four thousand dollars into it last year um but by the time we figured up if she did go ahead and buy a new a new what she was looking at it was a small suv that would have been five months of payments on that new small SUV, which didn't include the sales tax that you had to pay at purchase, which everybody forgets, or at least I do, until I got to go pay it and then I got to pay a penalty because I didn't do it in time. <laughs> That's my bad, but it is what it is. Um, I know the vehicle she's driving right now, it's, I believe, an 02 or 03 Trailblazer. Last time I worked on it, which has been in the last month or so, it's got 280,000 miles on this thing. Um, my sister, her last car, she's recently bought a new car. She had a Chevy Malibu, I think for 12 years, it had probably 250 North on it, but she was able to drive it. I think she figured up seven or eight years with no payments. That's awesome. That is really where you get that return on investment. My goal with a vehicle is 10 years or more. If I buy a truck, I buy a car, I buy whatever, You know, typically it's three to five years on payments wise. If I can keep it 10 paid off, I have gotten a huge return on investment. I'm not a big fan of lease vehicles. I'm not a big fan of, you know, buying something and then like to your point that it's not dependable, that you can't 
drive it and you barely get it paid off and then you got to trade it in and right. get right back into debt again. Um, that's that vicious roller coaster. So if I can make payments on it for three to five years and then maybe I can buy something else. What I did this last time, instead of buying a new truck, I went out and bought a tractor. And so my allocation of budget now I'm driving a couple of paid off trucks. They're older. They need some love and they got some character in them. But instead of that, I have the utility or the capability for the tractor. And maybe in your life, it's not a tractor. Maybe it's a boat or a four-wheeler or a side-by-side -side or a camper. You know, whatever the case may be, um, it gets you off that roller coaster of continuous car payments. Um, that is a very, very cool place to be. And, you know, I like to continue to put money towards something else other than my vehicle all the doggone time. I don't know about you. Absolutely. I was looking up new vehicles and, you know, of course, we're having that car chip shortage. Oh, yeah. And I just read on Car and Driver that Ford has replenished their chip supply and they were able to finish thousands of F-150 pickups that have been setting in places like Michigan and Missouri. That's fantastic So that's positive news. update. Yeah, that is great. And hopefully the rest of the manufacturers follow suit. I would assume if Ford was able to get those. Um, I was looking at Biden's uh, energy proposal bill that he's got out there. And one part of it was a significant amount of money for us to start making these chips domestically. I don't know how that's not a bigger priority across the board, whether it's chips in this um, instance or our medications. The fact that we get most of our medications from overseas is absurd to me, let alone a lot of our food. You know, we're probably one of the best set up uh, geographic countries for growing and producing most of our own food. Um, and then they write bills to where we take our food and we put it in our gasoline with ethanol and create more mechanical problems and, and things that cost you and I money from running ethanol. Um, I talk with a lot of people that still don't know that they shouldn't run ethanol in their small engines. Your small engines are not designed for that. Um, you know, if we had done things correctly or continued on the path of trying to figure out how to use the crude oil that we have already um, and develop those processes with our neighbors, we wouldn't have to use our food to try and, and get us, uh, you know, propelled from point A to point B. So hopefully things continue in the right direction. I'm super excited you found some bright spots there. I was not aware that they came up with some chips. That is a really, really cool thing. Yep, that is developing right now. That's so awesome. hopefully we'll Breaking get to, news, yes. you heard it here. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully we'll get to hear more uh, positive stories come out throughout the day well, about I, that. I know there's people wanting vehicles, you know. Hopefully the inventory shows back up. As always, Miss Sarah, I have thoroughly enjoyed having you on the show. Um, we'll be here next week, and we'll see you then.